0: Following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Verse 4 Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to him and not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle that I had and now hear that I still have. but to the, each of you who, to the interests of the others.
1: Today, um, I think it's really important that, that you understand the title. We're choosing joy together this week. I think that that needs to take a moment to set in, because if there is a struggle point for you and I in this journey, it's not just when we try to get joy out of something that can't give it to us. It's the people sitting next to us it's the family that we're in, the neighborhood that we're living in. And and if we don't learn that the faith of following Jesus is plural, it's not just my salvation. It's not just my kingdom come like Jesus, right? It's like, God, would you please prosper me? It's not just that God wants you like God help me not to sin this week. Help me to have my daily bread. Help me to be free from the attacks of the evil one. It was all plural to Christ. And if something good happens to you, it happens to me. If something bad happens to you, it bad happens to me. And but the problem in the church is is that we're really good at certain times bringing that all together. But we struggle many times when the fire is hot in our life. And I think you know what I mean by that. When temptations are high, discouragement is high, tragedy is struck, pain is in us, that we then become singular. It's like, but Lord, please deliver me. And we, and, and when that happens, then it begins to ripple effect and have a, a connectivity issue. And that's what I believe Paul is addressing in this chapter. And so today, as we get into this, there's two questions that I had Lana put on a slide, and then I'm going to come back to the definition. The first question is, is how do we avoid losing sight of joy when one we love is mourning? This passage that Paul is talking to us about is going to help us address this. The other question is, is, how are we to continue doing well in our core when one close to us is not doing well at all? Now, that is worth our time today because you and I are going to be around people that are in despair where the false accusations of life are just destroying them and you are doing your best to try to encourage them but either they don't know how to communicate from their place of despair or you're bothering them because you're not engaging with them the way that they can and this is what I've learned and I just want to share this with all of you is when you're with somebody that is feeling defeated and they can't experience joy the worst thing you could do is withdraw from them and act like they're mad at you right I want you guys to hear me when I say this is that a lot of times when somebody's in a bad way we'll call it all right and the 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 cistern of their life, it may have been self-inflicted, like they made a bad decision and they're dealing with it, or they may have had people just in some way hurt them or let them down, or they maybe lost somebody that they truly love or a job, is in the moment of their despair, we do not have a right to say, grow up or stop treating me this way, right? But what ends up happening is, is we have such a short fuse for the people around us That when they're in a bad way, we give them a little bit of grace, but if they don't respond right away, we just blow up and we make the situation worse because they were never upset with you in the first place. They never hurt in a way that was because of you. But they're going to need you to get out of it as the Lord begins to work and move through this. And so let me come back here. What was the definition we've been working with this entire time that's on the screen for you? Joy is the discipline to maintain perspective on what is true despite current circumstances and the determined choice to praise the Lord Jesus Christ in all things. All right, now let me show you guys this just for a minute. I don't know if any of you guys noticed, I brought my backyard gardening tools. Um, My backyard is about the size of two pieces of this stage. Um, So... uh, So this might be a little overkill for Baltimore City. Generally, our tools are very small, right? But see, I have this wonderful thing that we bought off the internet. I think my mom actually saw an infomercial for it, and she bought it, and I took it from her house because she now lives in an apartment and does no exterior work. But I found that this works really good in my dirt areas, and then I can put seed down, and it seems like the seed takes root quicker. So I had no idea that this, what this really does, other than the fact that it hurts your arms for a few minutes, and then you go after it. And then there's other tools like this. I don't know what you would use this for in Baltimore other than self-defense. Um, and then this is familiar, right? Because many of us spiritually have these, because this is what we dig our cisterns with, right? This is where we go and we're like, oh, that, that brought me happiness. Let me dig a hole and collect it, not realizing that it's, it's going to go stale really quick because it's not fresh. It's not a water source. And so we use things like this. And then there's, there's this rake that goes one swipe and my grass is done, which is fantastic, right? Um But yet, then I realized that taking the mulchy grass up is bad for my grass, and so I don't even hardly use that anymore. But the problem is, is that if you want to experience this joy definition, they're your tools. And most of us live our life in a way that we don't want to have to touch anything to experience joy. Like, really, what we would rather have is if God would just gift wrap it in a box and then just hand it to us, and then we had to do nothing, much like Jeff's testimony of the young man that he was, oh, I'll run 50 sprints for you. And the guy's like, great, and then he walks away and goes plays basketball, right? That's what we do with Jesus all the time. He's like, I love you so much, I'm going to rescue you out of your sin, I'm going to rescue you from your poor choices. I'm going to rescue you from whatever is, is is besetting you and keeping you separated from God. And we're like, yes, God, thank you. And I'm going to go live my life however I want. But while you're paying that price, I'm just going to ignore it. Like, But see, these tools were God's gift to us so that some of us can grab a, a cedar and we can go around and we can spread some things that are really good for us. But the issue is, is that these are not meant for us to use in isolation. These are meant for us to ask people in community to use them along with us. They're not supposed to be just for me because when I divide up the yard work with my son, we get it done in twice the time. If I take some time, have you ever used one? You don't have to. Um, But uh, if, if we were to actually take the time and do things together, we can get so much more work done. And it's so important that we then learn how to use them in unison. And you can set them down. you don't have to hold them the whole time. I just, the, the, the illustration effect is over. Okay, so, um, but the point is, is that what Paul is saying to this church, and we need to understand, Paul knew this church. He knew that very well. Like, he knew what the people were going through. and I And I want you guys to know that when you come to church here, my wife and I are doing the best that we can to have our eyes turned to you to see what you're going through. We don't want you to come in and feel like you're in a place that has no relevance to your life. Like there's you're coming somewhere where they're like, man, they're, th- those people are already in heaven. They don't, they could care less about earth and that's that's not the story here. Like we we are growing in our understanding over these last 11 years about what it takes to look your neighbors in the face what it takes for you to go to work, what it takes for many of you to go to Hopkins or Maryland medical programs and you're giving your life because you want to make somebody else's better but the, the universities are trying to tear yours apart with knowledge and cramming you. It's like there's so many things that we know you're going through. Many of you in here are immigrants. And I, that is one categorical group, categorical group that I know that I cannot relate to. Uh, I have I have never been in another country long enough to say I need to live amongst you. Right. And so there are a lot of you that are going through some things, but I want you guys to know we're trying to be make ourselves aware of the financial disparities, the educational disparities, the neighborhood disparities, the things that, that are dealing with our country as it relates to immigration. Now, we are wanting to be well aware of it, but the danger is is that because we come into a place where everybody's so different, the temptation of the evil one is disunity. Is for somebody, well, that church is really only good for those people. Or, man, the pastor really only spends time with those people. Or the community around the church, you know, they they acknowledge some of us, but they really don't acknowledge all of us. And I have to say this as a church family if we're not careful, disunity will set in, and then the image of Jesus is going to look terrible. And this is what I believe Paul is talking about here. And so let's go to Philippians 4. This has been the the chapter that we've been saying out loud together, so we're going to say it out loud together today and uh, using exclamation points like they're supposed to be used. So on the count of three, we're going to read this out loud together. One, two, three. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. There you go. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts, minds, in Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned, who will see or heard from me, who will in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Yeah, you know, yeah it's so much. Because so much of our lives is suffocating. But so much of the scripture talks about us living with our eyes open to people around us. And then the pressure is is that we live in a culture here in America where we're constantly being barbarded with the things we don't have and the things that will make you happy. And we are then being asked to then filter it all and say, okay, I don't need that, I don't need that, I don't need that. My joy is in Jesus. And so we have a culture that is constantly trying to get you to not be content and constantly trying to get you to think that people don't have your best interests. I was reading recently in the New York Times that millennials trust each other, get this, only 19% of the time. That is God-awful low. I mean, that is one of the lowest trust generations in history right that is that is that means two out of 10 of you would be okay with each other and you would be upset with eight of you it's like it's 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 a ridiculously known known number and the enemy loves it because the enemy knows that if we don't trust, if we don't have a way of communicating and, and realizing that everybody's under construction and I'm not complete yet and you're not complete yet and we have an, a Holy Spirit that's hovering in that and helping us and encouraging us, then the enemy is going to win. I love what um, uh, Eugene Peterson did with this passage. I don't have it on the screen for you, but I just want you to hear some of the words that he used. In verse 27, according to him in chapter 1, he says, meanwhile, now this is a great word. I want you guys to think about this for a minute. It's a transition word. It means that everything that we've taught you the last four Sundays, while you are fighting against cistern building, while you're fighting against finding people, or like I want my joy to be in people that are then going to let me down, or my job, or my occupation, and fighting against what's true about God and can he be trusted in all of my circumstances? He's like, look, because of all of that, I'm telling you to rejoice. But then he's saying, meanwhile, while you're working through all of that stuff, while you're working through the Jeremiah passages and the Psalms and the things that we've been asked, to, we've been pushing you towards, he says, meanwhile, while you're working out that theology, listen to what he's saying, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. That is a powerful statement. That means that no matter what decisions I make, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I know some of you are thinking about following Jesus, and I just want to say, I want the way we live to push you over the edge. Not like emotionally. Like, I am going to believe in Jesus because I can't believe how these people do. And the problem is, in our culture today, is that many times people that believe in Jesus stink. There's an odor to them that is not pleasing I mean, that's actually right out of the scriptures. Paul was talking to the Corinthian church about the fragrance of the church. And I think we have another fragrance issue. And it almost would be like us putting a sign over the door that says, smell yourself before you leave. Like, are we smelling like Christ? Do we have an odor that like Would people not like us but say, man, they, they remind me of the teachings of Jesus. Like, it's okay for people not to like you, but have the same people that don't like Jesus not like you. You know, it's like we should not have a relationship with people that people shouldn't bump up against us and say, you know what, I bumped into them hard and they still loved me. I bumped into them hard and they were kind. I bumped into them hard and they still showed compassion and and joy towards my family. And that is an aroma of Christ that I believe that he was talking about here. And then he goes on to say this, there's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for him. This is what Paul is saying to this church. And this is, this is the transition step for many of us in here. Because we've heard, because of the, I would say, the Big Tent Revival generation, where Jesus died for your sins, come forward, put your trust in Jesus so your sins are forgiven, so you can go to heaven right? Now, we're now learning that that is a part of the gospel, but it's not necessarily everything that you need because you are left here until Jesus returns. And life is hard. People are mean. People don't do what they're supposed to do. There's a viciousness to it. And so what Paul is saying here is that it is one thing to trust in Christ, but that is not the only thing. And then this is now what is going against the church, because the church wants to prosper, it doesn't want to suffer. And so which pastors get most of the airtime on television? Pastors that are prospering, right? Pastors that are asking their church for their third jet, right? Or the pastors that are asking for larger and larger donations to have larger and larger personal interests. That's, like, that's what most people are seeing. And let me just be honest with you guys. The people that don't believe in Jesus, that stinks. Because the world has never been more aware to the problems in the world. And when pastors like myself take too much and there's people in the community like the boys that Jeff is working with that can't even eat three meals a day or that might be sleeping on a sofa of a friend because their parents have kicked them out and yet we're fat on everything that we have and the world sees us and knowing children and we're leaving them in their distress, they're like, that does not smell like Jesus. And so what we're finding Paul saying is here is we've got to learn to suffer for each other. He says, you're involved in the same kind of struggle you saw me go through. So Paul's giving an example on which you are now getting an updated report in this letter. He goes on in Philippians 2, Eugene Peter says this, "If if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, If you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. That smells like Jesus. That looks like, and what Paul will continue to go on in Philippians 2 to describe the greatness of how Jesus did live this out. And I want you guys to, to, to notice a couple of quick things so I can end this quickly. The first is, is what's at stake. Philippians 1, 27. We need to understand that Paul was aware that this Philippian church, much like a church like ours and other churches where you've been, is on a razor-thin line for disruption and disunity. And they were having problems where the pressure on the church was so bad, like they would be on their way to church saying, and a Roman soldier would see them and say, you claim Jesus is Lord, Caesar is Lord, and I'm going to beat the crap out of you. And then they would go to church bloody. Like So they had the tension in their culture of being beaten on the way to church And then while they're at church, they just got beaten and they're sitting there and then somebody has a petty argument with them. And then the Roman soldier started a domino before long and the people were taking the tensions outside the church and bringing them inside the church. And then they weren't getting along with each other. And Paul is saying, look, I am aware that there are tensions going on outside in your community that are impacting you to poverty. Rome is taking your possessions, taxing you too high, and you are now bringing those tensions inside the church and you're now arguing, complaining with each other. And I wonder, was that just unique to the first century? Are we still not facing some of those same issues here today? What kind of conflict and disagreement have you seen mishandled in churches? Why did you leave your last church? Why are some of your friends not attending this church anymore? Because we have a serious conflict resolution problem. We have, a serious, have an, an issue where it's very difficult for us to look each other in the face and say, what is the aroma of Jesus like in this situation? The second thing that I believe Philippians 2 begins to is talking about the pressure is normal. The, the pressure outside of the church was normal for them and they had to learn to just deal with it. They weren't going to snap their fingers like a Thanos and be able to change the culture around them instantaneously. Like They had to realize that that world out there was not going to change, but the world that they live could change. God could do a miracle-working power in them in the ways that they treated one another. The, the, second thing, the third thing that comes out of this is, is really what they already have. I don't know if you caught it, but what was this passage telling them they already have? Can you look to the left and to the right and get a clue? Each other. So listen, this is what he's saying here, and I, I want us to get it, because I know some of you right now are hot and you're sweaty, and I promise you I'm hotter and sweatier, all right? Because I've got these oven lights on up here, but uh, I feel like the buffet, right? So here, this is what I want you to be able to, through the heat and through the fatigue, to be able to hear me say is that we have a great gift that we're truly not alone, but we have to act like we're not alone. But we have a culture that's pushing us to isolation, to only having social media-type relationships with one another. But flesh and blood interaction, and Paul is saying to them, this is what is so amazing. With the persecution they were facing, they were the first ones to believe in an empty tomb and a resurrected Jesus. They were the first ones in this region to be following after Christ and to seeing the miracles and the things that were happening. And so they were going through things that you and I were going through, and they were the first ones ever to go through it in relation to Jesus. And what does Paul say to them? You have each other. Guard it. Protect it. Work on those things. Don't just want everybody to initiate love with you. Initiate love with each other. And then it goes on here, what I believe is just really powerful, is that he says to this early church, he is concerned that their personal preferences and beliefs are undermining healthy relationships. Their personal preferences. There's a lot of us in this room that we have been through some difficult teachings since September. And there are a lot of us that are saying, but I just want this to be true and we're causing disunity. We can't go to Scripture to say it's true. We can't go to, to um, like the sensitivity of the Spirit of God that it's true. We are just out there on our own. Like, I, it's just true. It's, it's just true. God wants me to have a yacht with a captain and seven shipmates, and that to be my life. That's, 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 and, and we are miserable because it hasn't happened yet. In other areas, it's personal choices. Some of us, we wish that God would would just allow us to be as sexual animal as much as we ever would want to be. And we're upset with God that we can't be sexual animals without it being devastating to people around us. And we just are like, but I want it to be true because I enjoy sex, right? And that's what we say. And we're like, I just... But, and I, you know, we just keep being defeated by those things. And the early church was facing the same things that we are facing. And Paul was saying to them, you've been given a good thing with each other. And your personal beliefs will impact your relationships with each other. And we've got to be very careful. And his remedy for overcoming the pressures of our wanting things to be true that we can't really go to Christ on or the pressures that we're facing in life, he's saying to them, is you focusing on Jesus? He's like the remedy of a moment where we are adamant, I want this to be true, I want this to be true, I want this to be true, is Jesus. We've got to clear our minds and say, I just want to see Jesus. That's why I love the way that they finally, in the Bibles, in my generation, added red letters so it's easy to go find the words Jesus said. It's easy to find the Sermon on the Mount. But here's something that I think is also important. I mentioned to you guys that, like, what's at stake? The pressure was normal. We are feeling that. What are they? Are what do they already have? They had each other. The the last thing is something has to be replaced. He's telling them that in order for the gospel to be beautiful, in order for the story of Jesus to be beautiful, there are things in our life that we must get rid of. We can't just keep our old self, and think that that's going to be a representation of a resurrected Jesus. Because most likely what forced Jesus to come to earth and go to the cross was because of our old self. And he's working in us for a new self. And I think that what's spectacular in this is that of all the things Paul could have said to this church in this passage about the pressures of outside forces, the pressures of personal choices and disunity, the one thing he tells them to focus on is humility. I mean, I don't know if you caught that in Philippians 1 and 2, but he was saying to them, if we want to keep unity in the church, if all of the pressures that are on us and the things that are tempting us and the things that are causing us great frustration, of all of those things Paul says to them and coaches them and focuses them on is a life of humility. How many times was Paul falsely accused? I mean, goodness gracious, we just went through the book of Acts. That was pretty much every other chapter, sometimes twice in some chapters. But yet, how many times did he fight? How many times did he just take it? How many times did he have the opportunity to stand up and say, but I was with Jesus, and Jesus told me to tell you, and you better listen? It doesn't speak that way. Humility. So what do we do? we have got to help each other remember. We've got to help each other remember. We've got to figure out what it's like when we are in despair or in joy, in moments of great thriving or moments of great hurt and pain, as a church, to take ownership of helping each other remember. And there are some of us in the room right now that you already don't feel like you're fully included. And we've got to figure out a way of lengthening the arms. And our benediction isn't the only time that we literally are embraced, that we figure out how to bring that into the spirit all week long. Because what we find in this particular passage is Paul is helping them to remember what they've experienced in God and what they need to move forward to. And so today in our culture, one of the easiest ways that people remember things is they make their own t-shirts nowadays, right? Have you ever noticed that? It's like every company or every group has a slogan and a t-shirt, and if so if you go work for a nonprofit, they've had a victory in something, and they put it on a t-shirt, and then you wear it a few times, and then you have a collection of memorabilia from other places, right? Um, that was one of the most devastating things to my family when we went through the house fire back after my son was born, and we lost all of our possessions is I had been a youth pastor for 15 years and we had all these t-shirts from mission trips and youth camps and bands that our kids had formed in our youth ministry that were all monumental moments for us of remembering great things that teenagers can do for the kingdom and that, and that fire took those all from me. And so fortunately, we can't let the evil one take the things out of our head. We've got to force ourselves to remember and there's a powerful story in Joshua. Listen to this. The children of Israel had been in the wilderness for 40 years. How many of you in this room are over 40 years old? All right, be proud. All right, I don't want to be the only one with my armpit showing sweat. All right. There are not many of you that even live, have lived long enough to know what it has been like to be in the wilderness for 40 years. Some of you have been in the wilderness of Hopkins for 18 months to seven years and you already know how difficult it is but imagine 40 years of that life 40 and now we find Joshua gathering it all up everything is starting to move in the direction and so what started them on a journey in the wilderness with the parting of the red sea now has become a parting of the jordan river and now they're walking through this jordan river and listen to what said Joshua 4 starting in verse 21 he said to the israelites In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. And the Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so that you might feel, uh, might not, excuse me, so that you might always fear the Lord your God. So he was saying to them in Joshua chapter four, "We are going to grab rocks as we go across, and then we are going to force ourselves to remember." And I believe that we as a church need to start revisiting those types of principles. You and I need to start grabbing rocks, labeling it the victory that God has done. So that on the days where you are like, God, I need you, you can go back to it and be like, yep, I remember when you did this for me. Or I remember when you did this for us. And I want to look at it because I know that until Jesus comes back, I've got to be steadfast. And so I've asked Ginger to help me talk about this illustration.
2: So um, if, if you remember, if we, as we've been journeying, um, I cl- clearly said to you a few weeks ago that if I can't find a reason to rejoice today then I'm never going to have a reason to rejoice. And that means even when I'm going through the hardest season of my life, even when you're having the hardest day that you've ever lived. And I think that's a struggle when we're talking about celebrating um, and choosing joy is that we think it's not worthy of, quote, a praise report. So that's not what we're looking for, okay? Um, And today, Ellis and I, we've just been talking as we've been building to this time that it's time for us to respond, We've been learning. We've been being challenged. What is joy? What does joy look like? It's time to respond. Yes, we've had some balloons around each week. Some of you might not have even ever noticed them. (laughs) They're in the room this today. But again, it's symbolic. And it doesn't mean that there have to be balloons present in order for us to have joy. But it is supposed to help us to take the time to remember. So we have some stones right here in front of us that are at the foot of the cross. And on the table behind the cross are some Sharpie markers. And this is what I want to challenge you with. This is not just for this for this joy series. Our desire is that this is not going to be something that's going to disappear when we come to the end next week. We really desire that this is a part of who we are as Gallery Church. That when we come together on Sunday mornings... That we, just like we come prepared to give an offering, just like we come prepared to worship, that joy is a part of that worship, no matter what kind of week we've had. And that means that I need to be deciding in my mind, though today sucks, even so, I'm going to celebrate. Meaning, I've got something I need to praise the Lord for. And that's why it's not just a praise report. Honestly, There shouldn't be enough stones here if all of us were truly learning to participate and choose joy. um, Some of you might not be prepared when you come in on a Sunday because of where you are emotionally. That's where the together piece comes in. Maybe you need to share with a brother or a sister, I'm struggling and I can't choose joy today. Help me choose joy. That means they can go with you and... Choose a stone, and they can write something on that stone for you as a proclamation over your life. We need to learn to choose joy together. Because even on the worst days, God is good, and we have reason to celebrate. If I can't choose joy today, if I can't find a reason to rejoice today, I will never have a reason to rejoice One last thing before our team leads, and we really want you to move, choose a stone, write the joy on it. If you're struggling for words, write a scripture on there. Psalms are filled with words. When we don't know what to say or what to praise him for, let his words, Psalm 94, verse 18 and 19, when my foot was slipping, Lord. You supported me, and i 'm totally not quoting it exactly right, but that 's the, the thought of it, and that your joy your um when I was struggling that your joy consoled me, your love consoled me, brought me joy i 'm totally messing that up, but you get the point: find a scripture, write it on the stone, and then let 's make a monument, give me another word um when you're putting the stones together no but Like an Ebenezer, let's stack them on top of our piece of furniture over there that's under pure joy. And let's let this be a part of our worship. Let's together choose joy today.
1: And then when you're done with that particular activity, um, we also want you to know that our Lord's tables are open as well. Um, Because this there's no greater example of what we should be like for each other than the Lord's table. It's the Lord's body that was broken and poured out, his blood that was for the forgiveness of sins. And if I put it in modern-day language, it is it is you running 50 sprints for a neighbor yeah. in order for them then to see, to taste and see that God is good. Christ set an example for us of how we should live. And this table is a reminder of that. So come to the table as a group. Take the bread. Look at each other in the face and say, this is his body that was broken for you. Dip it in the cup, look at one another and say, this was the blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And then take that together and then celebrate that Christ is going to come back again. There's a script on the little um, photo frames there that can help you go through that if it's your first time with us. But this is for those of us that believe in Christ. And if you need prayer today, there'll be some with some lanyards around the room. If you want to give your life to Christ, they'll be happy to help you. If you're in the middle of despair and you're having a hard time feeling the love of God, they will pray for you. So don't sit there in in, in it by yourself. Turn to those around you you trust. Come to one of our folks that can pray over you. But let's all respond today. Don't don't hesitate to. Some of you already know what you need to put on a rock. Go ahead and let's get it started. We've got two songs to sing. So that's like eight and a half minutes. So you're going to have to move quick. All right, Uh, Father, would you please let your spirit confirm in us what you're teaching? And Father, may the temperature of the room not impact our listening ears. And Father, I ask in Jesus's name that we would look like Jesus, that we would smell like Christ, that we would would be concerned about our actions and whether or not it is um, replicating Jesus. Father, we don't want to do anything to hurt the message of Christ and so, Father, would you continue to show us how to walk with him? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.